When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome back to the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me, as always, is my lovely, wonderful co-host, Ariel. Hello. And today, we're going to be talking characters and... B.O.W.s? No, that's another podcast. Oh. <laughs> we're going to be talking about characters and bosses this episode. Woo! So, let's kick it off with the main protagonist of this series. Zelda. No. <laughs> Ezlo. No. <laughs> no, we're going to kick it off actually with Ezlo this episode because Ezlo is one of the more prominent characters in this game. And a lot of the stories focused around not only Link and Zelda and you know what's going on, but Ezlo himself. So let's get a little backstory on Ezlo. <clears throat> For those of you who aren't familiar, Ezlo is the cap in this game. Um he he's very crude and brash towards Link and we'll explain why that is as we go through his character. So to start it off, I'm going to read a couple of Ezlo's figurines uh, descriptions from the game. The first one is uh, Minish Ezlo and it says the Minish Ezlo before he was cursed by Vati. He is a famous Minish sage even among Minish inventors, he was renowned for his amazing creations. So knowing that, we know Ezlo was this fantastic, wonderful, just amazing inventor and sage within the Minish community. I mean, he's got a pretty cool name, too. I mean, he does. Ezlo. <laughs> so another one we have here is the... Ezlo cap figurine description which reads a strange creature that looks at first like a cap he speaks roughly and treats Link like a child but he actually really likes Link so there's why he's always so brash and mean to Link it's because he treats him like a child like you know nothing like you're doing silly things knock it off <laughs> so these are, you know, these are just a few of the descriptions from Ezlo's figurine collection. But it really gives us these. I felt like these two really gave us a hit home who Ezlo is. You know, Ezlo is essentially this whole game. Ezlo's looking out for Link. He's trying to keep him out of trouble. He's trying to get him, you know, to where he needs. And he's also, you know, kind of going out of his way to get his own objectives made which is to turn from the cap that he is now back to Minish. So <clears throat> Link first finds Ezlo in the Minish woods being attacked by uh, red, two red Octoroks. And then Link saves him and Ezlo joins him on a quest with the stipulation that Link will aid him in returning him back to his original form. Once this is all agreed, they, you know, the story's written from there. They go off on this major quest, they do all these things, and the end, happy ending, Ezlo becomes Minish again. Is that why the title of this game is Minish Cap? 
Hmm, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a little description uh, of Ezlo before he even met Link. We know he was a renowned Minish craftsman and a sage who worked uh, on an item called the Mage's Cap. And this cap was a item that could grant wishes to the wearer. It was intended to be a gift for the humans, but when they were done, you know, he was done working on everything else. His apprentice Vati stole it. Thief. Thief. And he planned to use the hat for his own personal gain. The first thing he did right off the bat was to wish himself to be the most powerful sorcerer. So after doing this, Ezlo, of course, tries to stop Vati. Super unsuccessful. Vati just ends up whooping him around and turning him into the cap that we know. After turning him into a cap, Ezlo still tried to follow and stop Vati but to no prevail because he doesn't have access to the, you know, laundry list of magic that he used to. He's a hat now. <laughs> I love the fact that of all things to turn him into, it was a hat. Right? Like you could have turned him into a little ant. You could have, you know, all these other things, even if ants don't really exist there, like could have turned him into a blade of grass. You turn him into a hat. Yeah, I, I thought that was weird out of all <laughs> things to turn him into. And it never really explains why he chose a hat out of all things. <laughs> probably, probably for storyline progression. I mean, Of course, of course. Um, <clears throat> but that's pretty much it. And the, you know, the end of the game sums everything else up. You know, they accomplish what they were trying to do. They seal Vati away in the four sword. You know, the curse is broken and everything's great. So all that being said, I do have a few little trivia things here dealing with Ezlo. What? What? So when Link's life energy is full, Ezlo appears with his beak open and held high. After losing hearts, Ezlo's beak closes and his head is hung low. And if Link only has one heart container remaining, Ezlo appears exhausted. So this would mean that on some form, Ezlo is somewhat in tune with your own health, like your own vitality, um, which would be, if you think about it, it would be a cool aspect of the curse would be that whoever the wearer is, he's basically now attached to their vitality while he's being worn. I feel like he could use that for evil, though. Like, let me suck your vitality out. Yeah, see, I don't think he has that ability. I think he's just kind of shafted into, well, if you get hit, I got hit, so. <laughs> it would be a very evil ability, though. <laughs> right. Um, and the last one I have is Ezlo's cap form has similarities between his sage form as well. Some of these are the swirly hair on the top of his head and the his eye appearance is similar in his minish form. When he's in his minish form, his staff also has a beak and a swirl of hair similar to his cap form. So essentially it took all these, you know, distinguishable features about Ezlo and then threw it into this cap form. So we could we could know even when he's minish, this is Ezlo. <laughs> so all that being said, that's Ezlo. Rough, tough, and straight into it. <clears throat> so the next two characters we're gonna cover in one kind of lump sum statement. It's Link and Zelda. <laughs> um, there's not much difference in this series, you know, game. 
with Link and Zelda that there is in any other game. Uh, Link is still our main protagonist in this series, in you know, in this game, and Zelda is still Zelda. She's still the you know magical princess that we all know and love. What is different in this game, though, is some of their personality, tra- you know, traits. Link in this game is more goal oriented than he has been in the last ones. That's not to say that Link in general in any of the games in the series isn't goal oriented by any means. But this is more of like a personal stakes goal. Zelda is in danger. She is my friend. I've got to save her. In other games in the series, it's more of like a general concept of, oh my gosh, there's this big evil force and only you can stop it, Link. That's in this, of course, but that's not why he's doing it. He's doing it because Zelda got turned to stone. I want to change her back. Well, there's all kinds of evil that got released from the box and yada yada. Yeah, I'll deal with that too. But I'm only doing this because Zelda's in trouble. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's a different spin on things. You know, it's not it's not like it is throughout the rest of the series where, you know, we have a stake in a larger picture this is more of a we have a personal goal so that's really the only thing it changes with Link in this one and he's more childlike you know and we see different child versions of Link throughout the series as well but this one's more of you know kitty um, Zelda in this one is a little more shall we say rebellious I mean she sneaks out at the beginning of the game to go and hang out with Link and go to this carnival she full on just like I snuck out (laughs) you know she's a little more rebellious in this one and but again in this game they're both children you know and yeah we see them as kids in other games too but in those games they're portrayed a lot differently with their personality you know when Zelda's a kid in another part of the games she's not as adventurous and rebellious she's more I'm the princess. I have to follow the, you know, the royal regime and the rules. And, you know, I want to I'm a little free spirited and I've got, you know, my quirky little attitude, but I'm going to follow the rules because it's what's best for the people. And this one, she's like, it's okay if I bend this one little rule is all right. So that's really the only differences in this game with those two. Uh, The last character I'm going to cover is also one of our bosses. So I'm going to cover the character aspects and Ariel is going to cover the boss aspects. <clears throat> so it's none other than Vati. A lot of people ask the same question. What's Vati's whole stick here? What, what is he doing all this for? Well, it's because he started off as Ezlo's apprentice, as we know. But over time, Vati became fascinated with the evil in the hearts of men and began to desire power. So think about that for a moment. Vati started to become absolutely enthralled with the idea that there is evil in man's heart. And through that conclusion, we can only assume that he came to the conclusion of evil equals power. Greedy, greedy. Mm-hmm. So we know he stole the you know magical hat and everything else, but <clears throat> what's explained throughout the game is he also learned of the Picori Blade and the Light Force during his exploration of becoming powerful. These are both gifts that the Minish gave to the humans in a time before. He wants these desperately, and that's why we see him go for not only the treasure chest, but Princess Zelda. Now, in in the start of this, he doesn't know anything about where the light force is or anything like that. So the first, you know, throughout this game, he learns. But <clears throat> the reason he wants the Blade is because the blade itself is powerful, but the real reason he wants the light force is because it's said to give the wielder unlimited magical powers. 
and a lot of you may be arguing, yeah, okay, but he's got the cap. He can make, you know, he can just wish for it. Yes, but I'm sure just like everything else that we know in anthology of, you know, mystical things, there's probably rules to this cap of wishes. You know, you can't wish to be undead. You know, you can't wish for dead people to come back. You can't wish for love. And you can't wish for things that are unachievable or unobtainable. So somebody already has the possession. You can't just wish for it kind of deal. This is stipulations. This is solely theory here on my part. So all this being said about Vati, we can bring his character into one simple lump of a characterization. He's an evil sorcerer who just wants power. It's said multiple times in the game. It's said multiple times through the uh, Zelda encyclopedia. It's it's said multiple times. Any source you go to, he wants power. That's his whole prerogative here. By the end of the game, and Ariel will go more into this when we talk about his boss forms, he gets this power from more demonic sources. It's almost like he completely rebels from light power because he realizes it's not as much as I really hoped it would be. So we're going to go somewhere else. But it's he's an interesting character because this isn't the last time we'll see Avati and we'll see him again in the four swords. And even there, he becomes more of a compelling character because his his agenda kind of shifts a little. But we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> so that's all of the characters I want to discuss here. We got some returning fan favorites, um, which we're going to do a whole episode on that. Uh, Tingle, my boy. Tingle deserves his own episode, OK? He's been in multiple games of the series, and he's just a great character all in all. Um, but I want to explore him in depth because when we talk about Tingle, first thing that comes to mind for me is he's in multiple different decades and generations. And I wonder why that is. So I'm going to explore that a little bit more. We're going to dedicate a whole episode to our boy Tingle. But the last thing I want to talk about here is the Minish themselves. So the Minish are a very interesting race. <clears throat> So the Minish are tiny, tiny creatures, and they are actually about the size of your thumb. So if you're listening to this, I want you to hold up your thumb and look at it. Look how small these things are. Basically, their whole legend lore is uh, it was a long time ago. They were said to have descended from the sky and granted a golden light or also known as the light force and a blade to a hero. Now, this was to help mankind kind of vanquish the evil that they were dealing with at the time. And this is the hero we don't really get a game about. We don't get to know about much about this. <clears throat> so that's where they kind of came from. After that, it's said that every hundred years, the Minish will visit and only children can see them. And then the reason that children are the only people that can see them is because of the purity that they have in their hearts. This goes with what Vati was so enthralled with. And I'm sure that's actually probably what's, you know, kind of started his whole obsession with the hearts of man and evil is because he wanted to know why it was that children could see them with their purity, but you know, men and grown-ups could not. So all that being said, the Minish actually live within Hyrule itself, even to this day in Breath of the Wild. And here's how you can tell. So in the Minish Cap, we we get to visit some of their little villages and things. We fight our first boss monster there, the the giant Choo Choo. Choo Choo. <laughs> We get to see and visit them throughout. You know, it's not to say that they're all excommunicated and they don't exist here. No, some of them have stayed behind. 
and they live on the plane with us. However, you can tell that they are still present because the Minish are responsible for things being in the grass around Hyrule. We see this in the game. We, we, we get this little nod at lore in the game because some Minish actually tell Link straight up that this is what they do. They'll on occasion take things um, and hide them. And there's actually a shop within the Minish cap where the shop owner is constantly complaining that he had something yesterday for sale and it's just gone. And he, he's constantly blaming himself or the apprentice or he's blaming everyone but the Minish. He just doesn't understand what's happening. Well, the Minish take responsibility for this. They say they've been hiding these things around Hyrule in the tall grass. Knowing that in every game in the series, it is a staple that we cut the grass to get items. Even in Breath of the Wild. Pots, grass, you'll break things in Breath of the Wild. And though it is very rare that you get some items, you can still get items from the grass. Which is a major hint at the fact that the Minish still exist, even within the Breath of the Wild time frame. Probably a very dwindled population, much like the rest of Hyrule during this time of Calamity. But they're still there. It's so cute. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's all I have for characters today. So let's cut to a mid break. And when we come back, we will talk some bosses. Bosses. Well, here we are in the middle of the show, Ariel. Woohoo. <laughs> so the first thing we have to do here is we, of course, have to thank our patrons. Yeah. We have our Patreon up. So we want to give a special thank you to our Sheikah level patron, Relic to Rebman. Thank you. Our very first patron. Yeah. <laughs> so now that the Patreon's up, we're going to talk. I'm going to take a brief second to talk about what we are doing with the Patreon. So <clears throat> we have a couple different tiers, starting with our fairy tier. This will get you early access to episodes. Now that we're back and rolling and we've got all the kinks worked out of the system, we're going to start pumping these episodes out early with no ads on our Patreon feed. And we're going to start going through the backlog and updating those on Patreon so that our fans can get access. The next level we have is the Kokiri level. And at this level, you get bonus episodes. We're going to start pumping out so lots of bonus episodes, early access to episodes. You get your shout outs and you get two giveaway entries. So... I want to take a brief second to talk about that. Me and Ariel have talked and we are going to start purchasing some of this merch that we talk about on the show and some of it that we find that we're like, eh, we're not going to talk about it, but we're going to give it away. And we're still going to give some of our stuff away too at random intervals. And we're going to do little competitions and things. This, these levels with the giveaway entries will give you however many at that level free entries you won't have to do any work for them you're just automatically entered so that is the first level where you start giving your giveaway entries at the Sheikah level this is the level i'm really excited about you get early access bonus episodes loz merch you get shout outs and you get to guest with us once a month on the show i'm super excited about that one yeah <laughs> um in that level, you also get four entries to giveaways. You have our Hyrule Royal Team, which gets everything in the first ep in the first couple tiers, in addition to getting six entries to the giveaway. The next one you have, and the final one, is the Goddess level, or the Golden Goddess level. Now, this one is a very exclusive slot, and 
it gets you a lot of cool stuff. Gets you 10 entries into the LZ giveaways. You get a rarity up. So that means these people are going to get specific rare merch. These are the bigger tier items. And with this level, you get 10 entries to all the giveaways we get. So that's just some of the things we're doing. Some other things we're doing is once we hit our goal on Patreon, and it's a big goal, our first goal of $450 a month on Patreon, we are going to be giving away a Nintendo Switch bundle with your choice of a Nintendo Switch LOZ game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we've already decided every $450, we will do this again. This will be a constant giveaway. And for those of you at home maybe wondering, oh my gosh, what if the Nintendo Switch gets a new version? Oh, well, you better believe we can get our hands on it. We're going to give that one away. (laughs) We'll stay updated with Nintendo. (laughs) So... All that being said, we also have to give some love to our reviews. So the first one isn't so much a review as it is an email. We got an email from a very lovely person, uh, Nina Kitty. And the email reads, I just wanted to shout out your team for making this amazing podcast. I love LOZ. I have merch decorating my whole house and wouldn't have it any other way. I don't have anyone to talk LOZ with. And having this podcast to listen to weekly has been amazing and all I could ask for. Please keep up the amazing work. I will continue to look forward to more episodes. Well, we're back on track and I am ecstatic to get there. We've had a lot of hiccups with getting this, uh, you know, show launched. We've we we did things out of order and it caused chaos, but we're back. We're back on our weekly schedule. We're good to go. (laughs) And now we can start pumping out bonus episodes. But thank you, Nina. We are so happy to hear that you get to talk. You get get your little fix at LOZ Weekly. And you can always chat with us in the Discord. And the final one is actually a Apple podcast review. And this comes to us from Shorty12. This is a great podcast. I'm very interested in the LOZ lore. And this is a great way to experience the lore gameplay item and items of the game i do not know much of the minish cap so i'll be looking forward to those episodes and that's what we're doing right now (laughs) i just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's been extremely supportive during this time and posting all the reviews and the love and sending us emails we love it we love it and we appreciate it we love you guys and we are always looking for ways to give back to you as the fans. And even just listening to the mm-hmm. podcast, we love you listeners too. Oh, yeah. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do it. And we wouldn't be able to progress and grow. <sighs> I love our fans. <laughs> so all the love out of the way. Let's talk some uh, news and merch. I know you get some merch. Do I? I know you do, because I saw it. It's amazing. You know what I like? Hmm. Chocolate chip cookies. Uh, yeah, they're the greatest. Who doesn't love cookies? Uh. <laughs> Delinquents. That's who doesn't love cookies. Delinquents. <laughs> Delinquents. <laughs> well, my merch for today comes from Etsy. From Luke Cave Co., and it is the Legend of Zelda cookie cutters. So why not make some delicious chocolate chip cookies in the shape of Navi, Arupi, Majora's Mask, Triforce, and the Hillian Shield? I want these cookie cutters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're so adorable. And these sell... All five of them for $27.95. But if you want to get them individually, they are each $8.95. So not too shabby. Not too shabby. Mm-mm. I don't know why you wouldn't want to get the whole kit. I know, right? <laughs> and yeah, like I said, it comes with Navi, a rupee, Majora's Mask, Triforce, and a Hillian Shield. 
I want some chocolate chip cookies now that you've been talking about it. You're welcome. <laughs> I do too now. So I actually have two articles to share with us. Um, the first one is more of a hope and a theory than it is concrete. It's been going around the internet as a leak right now, but it's not really so much as a leak as it is a theory from a very prominent member of the um, video game community. So this is from Jeff Grubb, who has a podcast called Jeff Grubb's Game Mess. And he stated on his podcast that they have that they want to have a Zelda game every year and they have been holding on to this meaning two particular games Wind Waker and Twilight Princess he goes on to say why wouldn't they just put them out this year he continues and says if and if they don't put them out this and if they don't put this out or some other Zelda game this year instead of just waiting for Breath of the Wild 2 he wouldn't understand on that episode he continues to talk about how he would foresee them releasing it in October since they already have September games slated probably you know releasing in October so again this isn't a confirmation of anything it's more of a theory and you can go to uh, gamingbible.co.uk to get this article it's, a, it's an interesting read but again it's just another it's another fan theory so I wouldn't put too much weight behind it it would be cool and yes I agree with him they do try to release a Zelda game every year of some sort so I do think that they might have these in their back pockets ready to go but you know here's the hoping excuse me the next one however I am excited about and it is confirmed this is from mynintendonews.com and it's a statement from Digital Foundry that says that Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 will still be on the standard Switch. So a lot of fans worldwide are worried that because Breath of the Wild 2 has been delayed, that it's not going to be on the Nintendo Switch. They're, they're going to try to port it to this new Switch that's supposed to be coming out. No. They flat out said that though it will be ported to the Nintendo Switch Pro, that is not their main objective here. It will still be launched on the Nintendo Switch original because they know a lot of their fans aren't going to be able to get a hold of the Nintendo Switch Pro right away. And it was originally slated for the Nintendo Switch to begin with. So if you've been worried about not being able to get it for your Switch when it comes out, worry no more. They The, the creators have said it is coming out to the Switch. So, a lot of news I found, and a lot I wanted to cover there. <laughs> Sounds like it. Our mid-break took a little longer than I uh, than I intended, but it's okay. <laughs> it's a mid-break. It's a mid-break. So, the last thing we want to talk about is uh, All Up Ariel's Alley. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. What is it? Um, it's this lovely little ocarina you've been practicing and playing at home. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about you baked me cookies. Oh, no. <laughs> well, should you ever want or need an ocarina? Because who wouldn't want or need one? Head on over to STL Ocarina. Use our promo code LOZLORE10 and you get 10% off an ocarina. How awesome is that? It's pretty awesome. It's a really nice one. We talk about it all the time, but I just I just can't help but dote over them because I just got a text message and an email from them the other day asking us how we liked our product. If there was any issues, I have never in in all the times I've purchased all kinds of collectibles and all kinds of things. I have never had the company reach back out to me after a certain set amount of time just to see how I was doing, how it was. You know, is it OK? Is everything good? Is there anything we can do better? They truly care about customer satisfaction, and I love it. I'm here for it. Yes, definitely. It's a fantastic company. I won't spend too much time doting over it, but I, I just love the fact that they reached back out and were like, hey, everything good? Everything great? 
there anything we can do better? You know, it's it's just good to know that I have a great customer service experience waiting for me anytime I visit them. Yeah, and even if you're just a little bit of a Legend of Zelda fan, you don't necessarily want a Legend of Zelda ocarina. They have other ones. Oh my gosh, yes. They have D&D themed ocarinas. Um, Final Fantasy themed ocarinas. I mean, the list goes on. They've got a ton of them. Yeah, and they're all absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for an ocarina... Maybe you just want to pick one up because, you know, you've seen it in a couple games or it seems cool or you just you just love music. Definitely check these guys out because it is definitely worth a look. And remember, you're never too old to play an instrument. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) So with all that being said, let's cut to the end of the show and talk some bosses. Yes. Well, here we are at the end of this episode, Woo. and we're going to talk bosses. <laughs> yep, that'd be me talking about the bosses. <laughs> so what do you got for us? Okay, so <sighs> I'm going to skip through the mini bosses mm-hmm. and just get straight into the bosses. Yeah, well, a lot of the mini bosses we're going to cover when we discuss, you know, specific types of creatures in future episodes. So that makes sense. You know which one I'm going to cover first? What's that? The big green (laughs) choo-choo. So the big green choo-choo is literally just a big green blob. (laughs) It was honestly kind of cute with its crazy eyes, (laughs) but I don't know. I thought it was cute. <clears throat> so it appears in the Deepwood Shrine. Mm-hmm. And though it's not much of an enemy usually, they are terrifying to anyone minish sized. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the big green choo choo is a normal sized choo choo, but it's considered to be huge by minish sized creatures. Mm-hmm. Of course, like going into what I was saying. So. In order to defeat Big Green Choo Choo, you have to use the gust jar to suck jelly from the base of its body. Mm-hmm. And once enough has been sucked out, the Choo Choo will lose its balance and fall over, becoming susceptible to attacks from the Smith Sword. Mm-hmm. So nothing too crazy about bakery choo-choo no and like you said earlier it's it's essentially just a normal choo-choo but to minish this thing is massive and when you encounter it you are in fact the size of a minish so it's massive and crazy I, I did like during this fight however that you had to use the gust jar to fight it because that added an extra interesting element to fighting choo-choos because normally they're just minor inconveniences for Link now it's a big threat <laughs> <laughs> right so, just one more little thing about it. Do you know in Germany, it's actually called the giant green slime? <laughs> they just they just got straight to the point. Yep, giant green slime. The giant green slime. <laughs> Stop trying to name slime. <laughs> uh. So, the next one on the list is Glee Rock. Mm-hmm. So the next one, well, never mind. Maybe that. So, Gleerock is a guardian of the Cave of Flames, high atop Mount Crenel, and it is the second major boss of the game, and it guards the fire element. Now, Mister Green Choo Choo over there, he had the earth element. Mm-hmm. So now we get the fire. And the Glee Rock is a hard, rocky shell in appearance, and it hides in lava and spews fire on everything it sees. So that's what he does. And to defeat him, you must fire the cane of posse at its back. Okay, yep. 
and then climb on top of its neck and slash the yellow thorn on its back with your sword while it's stunned. And that is the Glee Rock. So I did want to mention something while we're here about this one. Uh, this is non-canon, but I found it very cool and interesting. <clears throat> In the Minish Cap manga, the Glee Rock was cursed by Vati prior to its battle with Link. And once Link beat Glee Rock, it turned back into its softer Plesiosaurus-like creature form and gave the fire element to Link. So it had like a happier ending for the Glee Rock in the manga. (laughs) (laughs) Fun little thing here. In France, Italy, and Spanish, it's actually Gleok. Hmm. Like they just took the R away. Was like, nah, no more R's for you. You're Gleok. <laughs> so, on to Mazal. And Mazal appears in the Wind Ruins. Constructed by the Wind Tribe to repel intruders. This sturdy machine cannot be destroyed by any external force. So, he attacks by bringing down his fists or by sweeping a hand across the arena, attempting to grab you. And once you've damaged it enough... It will begin summoning beetles, which will attempt to latch onto you and slow you down. Making you more vulnerable to his attacks. And like in the final round of the battle, he will sweep an energy beam across the battlefield. That's no fun. Uh, no. And this attack is unusual because it doesn't hurt you. It causes you to turn into Minish form. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did like the fact that they added this extra element to this monster or boss, if you will, where it would one of its attack doesn't kill you. It just causes a major inconvenience. So, you know, after three rounds, he falls. And you'll find that the wind element is no longer there. Since the wind tribe took it with them when they left for the cloud tops. However, you still obtain the Ocarina of Wind. Mm -hmm. So... Don't leave empty handed. (laughs) So the cool part about this dungeon in particular to me and the boss itself is it feels like this boss was purposely constructed in this dungeon for the purpose of protecting the people that lived here. Mm -hmm. You know, unlike other dungeons where a monster is either wandered in or it's a monster because, you know, it was somebody who was sent here to protect and then all of a sudden has become cursed or whatever. I got the feeling that this thing was doing its job. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was doing its job. That's it. Yep. (laughs) And it wasn't there to hurt you. Mm. Just to stop you. Exactly. Yeah. So the next one is Big Octorok. So the Big Octorok is the boss of the Temple of Droplets. And it's the guardian of the water element. Though simply a typical red Octorok to a normal size Link. When Minish size, this mediocre creature becomes gargantuan. So we have a case of another creature that to normal size Link is just a minor inconvenience. To Minish Link is deadly. Yep. Mm-hmm. So basically the way to defeat him is by using its rock spitting tendencies against it to inflict damage by deflecting the rocks with your shield 
and it will eventually try to um, suck you up and will ram the walls. But after a few hits, the Octorok will freeze itself and all of the water covering the floor and the budding flower on its back becomes vulnerable. So by setting the flower on fire, um, doing that a few times, it will complete the battle. Mm-hmm. It's just a lengthier process of defeating a normal Octorok because, you know, we deflect our deflect their seeds or their rocks or whatever they're spitting at us back at them and it knocks them dizzy and we go up and hit them a couple times and they're dead. We've got the Gyorg pair. And the Gyorg pair is a collective name given to the Gyorg female and the Gyorg male, the bosses of the Palace of Winds. And the females are actually larger than the males. Which, believe it or not, that's typically the way it is in the animal kingdom, too. They uh, fly around the Palace of Winds, preying on adventurers. (laughs) They're actually kind of cute because, like, they kind of look like stingrays. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're kind of cool, so. Um, They appear at the end of the Palace of Winds at the Cloud Tops. The battle takes place mid-air, forcing you to jump from one Gyorg to the other by using Rockscape. So, that's fun. (laughs) This actually is a pretty fun battle. (laughs) It's tedious, it's time-consuming, but it is pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And when you finally defeat them, you get the wind element. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's important to note that the wind element was relocated here to this new kind of safe haven by none other than the wind tribe. Mm -hmm. So last on the list is the three transformations of body. Mm -hmm. So the first transformation is Vati Reborn. And his main attacks are shooting laser beams from the small eyes orbiting around him and casting fire. He also often teleports around the room to evade your attacks. You must destroy all of the eyes that orbit around Vati Reborn to reveal his weak spot and open eye in his chest. And then after enough damage is dealt we get his second form, and that's Vati Transfigured. He floats around the room, occasionally causing rocks to fall down and conjuring purple spikes around the battlefield or electrifying himself before shooting energy balls at you. Four of the eight orbs that surround Vati Transfigured must be struck with arrows to reveal which ones are vulnerable to the four sword. And the vulnerable orbs turn into red eyes, while invulnerable ones turn blue. So, after all four weak spots are uncovered, you must clone yourself with the duplication tiles on the battlefield to strike all of Vati Transfigure's vulnerable eyes at the same time. This will stun him, rendering him weak to continued sword strikes. And when enough damage is dealt, um, you begin to be able to break the curse on Princess Zelda and attempt to escape Dark Hyrule Castle before fighting Vati's third and final form, Vati's Wrath. And this is the embodiment of purest evil, the final form of the power-mad Vati. He begins by warping you from the courtyard to a dark battlefield. And he will float around the room, shooting energy projectiles and making his arms emerge from the ground by plunging them into it. 
you have to fire the cane of posse at Vati's wrath's arms when they emerge to disconnect them from his body. Then quickly use one of the nearby minish portals to shrink and enter the discarded arm before Vati's wrath reaches it. And once inside the arm, you will come across several small eyes. One of these whose pupil moves is the arm's core that you must strike down to destroy the arm. So you get to repeat the same process with his other arm. But the second time, however, the inside of the arm will be dark, requiring you to use the flame, flame lantern to locate the correct eye. So after both arms are destroyed, Vati's wrath's attack pattern changes slightly. He continues shooting energy projectiles from his horns with more intensity, but he also charges up blue energy balls from the four eyes on his underside. So you must clone yourself at the right time to reflect those blue energy balls back into his eyes which will stun him and make him vulnerable to strikes from the four sword. So this process must be repeated until he's finally destroyed. Mm. So I was waiting to talk about this with Vadi and I didn't want to bring it up too much when I was talking about the character description, but he takes his first form only after absorbing the light and manipulating it into a more of a demonic energy. That's crazy to think about that he can take this pure light energy and twist it and manipulate it into this dark force. Yeah. <sighs> so we got a lot of good bosses in this one. We didn't have too many bosses though, when you really think about Not it. Not too many, no. No. And even the mini bosses were they weren't truly notable. In all honesty, they were either large versions of something we've fought multiple times in other Legend of Zelda games, or they were just standard versions of things we fought, you know, before, like mm -hmm. the knights and things. So we we could focus on them in this episode, but I feel like they all these enemies deserve their own little place and their own little episode because a lot of them have some really rich backgrounds and lore behind them. Yeah, agreed. So, but anyway, that's it for our bosses and characters episode. That was good. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. I liked it. So with that being said, I think we're at the end of our episode. So thank you for listening and thank you for being a fan. And until next week, we'll see you later. Bye. Thank you all for listening to The Legend of Zelda Lorecast tonight. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can chat with us all things Legend of Zelda on the Robots Radio Discord. Or you can get hold of us on our Twitter at LOZLorecast. Intro and outro are done by Bentonal Landscape. Links are in the show notes below. Till next time, dear listener. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this.